Fun Belt Podcast back again. Dusty Thibodeau, Warhawk Report, Shane Metlin of the Daily News Record. MIA is Jeremy Harper of Hal Razor. He couldn't deal with the guest lineup that we have tonight, so he had to skip out on the show. But Shane's here. So, Shane, welcome in. Tell me, how's things going for you? Not bad. I'm eager for this guest lineup without Jeremy to mess it up for us, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a lot easier to edit when when he's not on the show. But James Madison didn't need an edit, got a huge win over Troy. Surely you were there for that game as our former guest, Neil Harrow, beat his former team. Yeah, it was an exciting game. Um, you know, it looked like JMU had it completely wrapped up with about 30 seconds to go, and then um, Troy scored six points in five seconds to make it a one-point game, JMU – end up holding on and uh, is alone atop the women's basketball standings again. And I think, I think Troy JMU women's basketball is going to be something that's fun for fans of that sport for, for a long time. I just hope that the brackets have them split. So, because I think that that would be a great rematch and a great championship game to really draw the attention to the league but I know it's always based on your seeding and where you finish in your, in the league. So they could wind up facing each other, but I, I really hope they make every effort they can to, to split them up. Yeah. I mean, like you said, they have to just kind of do it on their own with the seeding. but from what I've seen of the teams around the conference, those two being one, two in some order would not shock me at all. On the men's side, I thought we were going to get some clarity this week. No, it's still just a mess. Three teams sitting atop the standings at six and two, Marshall, Southern Miss, and the Raging Cajuns. The five and three section of the standings, Troy, Georgia Southern, and ULM. Four and four is James Madison, Coastal, and App. Three and five, Old Dominion, Texas State. Most surprising to me, though, Georgia State, two and six, along with South Alabama, Arkansas State, bringing up the rear at one and seven. Yeah, I mean, Arkansas State, it's not going well for the Red Wolves right now. Either side, men's or women's. Uh, so kind of a rough time overall for the athletic department right now. We can we can pile on a little bit since Jeremy's not here to uh, to resist. It is, but you know, I was I was in a sports bar on a Saturday watching, and it, they they just so happened to have the Miami basketball game on, and there was Norchad O'Meara with his double double again, averaging a double double on the season, but really not a whole lot of attention being brought to him, and it made me stop and think, why would he go to Miami? I know he's trying to improve his his draft stock and all that, but if you're averaging a double double in the ACC. You're just one of many. If you average a double-double in the Sun Belt, you're probably going to be player of the year along with Jordan Brown. So they might even split it as a co. But you're going to have that attention that's going to get the, that's going to boost your draft stock anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think Miami basketball is surprisingly active in the NIL field, given given that it's traditionally been a football school. And I'm guessing that probably had something to do with the decision. But like you said, I mean, he could be he could be a star, like a true star in Jonesboro right now. And probably 
I have no idea what kind of money he's making right now. I have no idea what kind of money he'd be making at Arkansas State. But I got a feeling it wouldn't be nothing if, you know, he was putting up those kinds of numbers in a town where he was, you know, the big man on campus all of a sudden. And, and, and know it. I mean, in, in the words of, of former show guest Chris Harris, if you're good, they're going to find you. And, and they definitely knew who uh, Norchad O'Meara was because I had a lot of coaches around the league, even in outside of the league, pinging me going, man, you, you got to let people know if you haven't seen them, you're, you're missing something special. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's really interesting just kind of to, to track it all. And because the Sunbelt lost some good players and it hurts to lose players that had already established yourself in the league. They also brought in some really good players. You look at Southern Miss right now, like they're doing it with big time transfers, guys that they brought in that completely turned their program around. So there's some give and take to it. But I mean, if you're a fan of this league, you're always going to have your eye on the, the one that got away and think, okay, yeah, we could have a, you know, Austin Crowley and a no chat or mirror in this league, you know, battling for, for the superlatives and everything and making just making this race even that much more interesting as tight as it is right now. Here's a stat for you, Shane, who amongst the Sunbelt conference teams do you think through eight games of conference action is leading the league in three point shooting? Oh, off the top of my head. Team wise, not individual. Team wise. Yeah. Um, I'm going to guess ULM because I'm guessing they got hot to uh, make this turnaround. It was the high of highs, the low of lows. When they, when they were hitting it is when that winning streak was going on. Saturday, they ran into the buzzsaw where not a damn thing was falling in the net and Troy could not miss. And when those combined, I think ULM shot 30-something percent from the floor and Troy shot well over 50 percent. You're not going to win that game. Yeah, it's tough. Not as tough as Texas State, though. Boobcats shooting 29.7% from three-point. Yeah, that, that's rough. But they're a team that's going to make up for it on the defensive end and make these games ugly when you play them. And, you know, you, maybe they can get by occasionally with those rough shooting nights. And – I think we knew coming into this year that Texas State was definitely going to be down, especially when Caleb Asbury left kind of unexpectedly there. Uh, they still have Marcel uh, Harris at the, the guard position. But th- this is definitely the reality check this year of Texas State and, and a year that they are definitely down. I wouldn't say they're out, but I don't see them contending for the regular season championship or even a Sunbelt tournament championship. They might be in a C-level tournament, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough because unless they get going here soon, they're going to be one of those teams that's probably playing an extra game or two in the Sun Belt tournament. So even as as prone as they are to maybe pulling off an upset or two, it's going to be tough to uh, to get it done in Pensacola. I think when you've got to play four or five games and some other really good teams don't. We make the turn halfway through the Sunbelt Conference schedule. Who's been a big surprise to you team-wise, and, and, and who's been the big letdown? Uh, I mean, 
surprise team wise, I mean, this goes back to even before Sunbelt play began, but I mean, just who's not surprised by Southern Miss right now. Um, like I'll, I'll say it again. I said it before. I thought they would be much improved, but I thought that meant middle of the pack, not, not possibly going to run away with this league. Now that they've got a Neftali Alvarez back, who's just a really good point guard that I think just gives them a completely other dynamic. Still, still surprised ULM is where they are after the, the rough start to everything. Um, disappointments. I mean, I'd say South Alabama, Texas state that we've already talked about to some degree. Um, just because, you know, it seemed like they were always going to be in contention year in, year out. Um, South Alabama, I still think has too much talent, too much size to be struggling as much as they are. Uh, I even put JMU probably in the disappointment category right now. It kind of swings on two games. They lost back-to-back games at home. And you got to win your home games in this league. They do. They win some games they should have won at home against App State and Texas State, but they're tied for first place too. And in the mix of all this, but you know now they kind of have no room for error when it comes to uh, winning some games at home and stealing a few on the road. I think my disappointment team is App State, and here's why I think that they go to Southern Miss, have a great game, but wind up falling by six points. They rebound against a Coastal Carolina team that really they they had on the ropes and and should have gotten a big win, only get a one point win, then. They have Georgia Southern lose by two on a last-second shot, lose in overtime to Coastal Carolina when they just couldn't hit a bucket for anything. I feel like they're just so inconsistent. And and I know that Coach Kearns is definitely ripping his hair out because they're not even playing solid defense like he's known for. Yeah. I get in trouble every time I talk about App State, but but they've got a few – really good players that I really like. I just don't think they have the depth that a lot of these teams in the conference have right now. And, you know, I think you see that when they, you know, lose games on, you know, they've lost more than one game on a last second shot this year. And, you know, maybe that comes down to just not having the depth, not having the legs under you late in some of these games. They, they almost gave up a huge lead to JMU. And I think that was, you know, kind of a case of JMU having some fresher legs down the stretch and yeah I just like you know there's a couple guys on that team that I really like I CJ Huntley has developed into a really nice big man but I just don't think they have you know when they go to their seventh or eighth guy it's not the same caliber as some of the other teams they're playing on the upswing I think the the raging Cajuns are the surprise to me we knew that Jordan Brown coming back was going to be the solid player and, and he has lived up to the hype, but you didn't know what the pieces were going to be around him. And I feel that Bob Marlin has really gotten that team to gel and play very well together while they're sitting at six and two, 16 and four overall, they're on a six game win streak right now. And, and I think that they are getting hot at the right time, hoping that they don't peak right now though, because you really want to be that hot team like they were last year as you get ready to go to Pensacola. Yeah, um, they're another perfect example of just where this conference is right now, where, you know, you don't know what to expect. You think you know what to expect. You think teams are going to win at home. You think 
you know, the, the favorite team's going to win most of the time, but you know, their team that dropped a couple early that you might say they shouldn't have, and then they go and win four on the road and, you know, really prove that they're right back in the mix. And there's other teams where there's, you know, perfect examples of that, you know, I'll go back to the team I watched the most, James Madison. They look like they look like the potential conference champion when they go to Marshall and win there, where nobody had won yet at that point. But then, you know, they'll drop some games that they, you know, you might say maybe they shouldn't, but maybe it's just that much balance in the league right now that you don't know what to expect from anybody. Yeah, it definitely hurt with the back-to-back close losses, the one-point loss there at Coastal Carolina, and then a four-point loss at Old Dominion. But ever since then, they've really turned turned things around. They had a close win at South Alabama. Everything else has been pretty much, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say blowouts, but just about a double-digit double win for the Cajuns. I like them. I, I think that they've been kind of the most impressive team to me in the first half of the Sunbelt Conference season. Yeah, I mean, I think you could give that most impressive, depending on how you're looking at it or when you're looking at it. You could give that to Louisiana. You could give it to Marshall or Southern Miss as they're tied with them. Um, they both, they've all had some very impressive victories. They're all six and two. Yeah, like I said, I think you could give it to any of those three teams, but Louisiana definitely has been among the most impressive to me. So, Shane, with, with Jeremy not being here, we got to bring in the big dogs. And that is, of course, Commissioner Keith Gill joins us, Sunbelt Commission. Yeah, I assume there was another person somewhere because I didn't think you could be talking about me, but uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Dustin. You need to form a Twitter account and call him out personally and and say, dude, I'm on your show and you you know show. I mean, what's up with that? We try to schedule this around uh, Jeremy not being available so we can can get out the fancy silverware and things like that. for for Yeah. We get you in their commission after uh, really a remarkable 2022. I mean, week two, I think, alone and taking a step back to week one, coming straight out of the gates with that App State North Carolina game. It was a great, uh, at least from us on the fan side. How did you kind of see it shaking out from the top? Yeah, you know, I think we saw it exactly the same. You know, I think it was a great football year for the Sun Belt. I mean, I think when you even start going back ball and realignment you know, this year, um, in 2021 and adding those, getting that all integrated over the year and then to have this in terms of, obviously week one was great. Yeah, the um, at North Carolina game, but also Old Virginia Tech. Then you move into week two where you've got just the three incredible upsets with Georgia Southern over um, Nebraska, at beating them, and then Marshall win that Notre Dame. And then you got game day. And then you have an unbelievable season where you run through where, you know, Troy ends up, you know, ranked, you know, in the top 20 um, and, a, and a bunch of polls and um, ranked in the final CF. We have the most bowl teams that we've had all year, you know, and, and so it was a really remarkable 22 football season and um, just really excited about, you know, the new schools and obviously our traditional. I um, really can't wait for 2023. Is, there, is your chest black and blue from beating it saying, I did it. I got these guys in. I got them in early and they were good. You know what? I mean, I, I think it's more like we did it, you know? I mean, I just think, you know, realignment's a team and um, really just um, can't say enough about um, our presidents, our ADs and, and all the big team effort from a Sunbelt standpoint and can't be happier with the 14 schools 
um, that we have now in our membership. I don't like the hunch. I'm, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, I can't hold back. You can go back to media day and the, the two days, it seemed like the talk was deep. They were the dynamic quarterbacks coming back. The most of the new schools being in that division. It seems like everybody wants to talk about the East division and then the West ends up how, I guess, big, how important is that for you as a commissioner of the entire league to kind of see that bounce get restored and see really good teams on both? You know, I think it's really important, you know, because we want we want excitement on both sides, you know, and, and, and so obviously in the last few years have really been Louisiana and App and then with some coastal. And so it was nice, you know, you think about, you know, um, South Alabama is really – having an upset at UCLA, you know, they have double digit wins, um, division one in their career, in their history, um, and, you know, end up playing in the New Orleans. Um, so the West really had a great year um, relatively, and the champion came from the West. You know, you want to make sure you have a conference that isn't just heavy in one direction. And so, you know, we want to make sure we have a great team coming out of the East, a great West for our champion. And um, and I, that you know we'll have another you know really good east you've got some teams that are, are really good west um as well as you know east will be you know your traditional folks will, will be there again so much excitement and all that but really no one was really able to take in that that troy victory other than the diehards a neutral site game maybe going to new orleans for a championship game you know i don't think so you know i'm not um i, I don't really think that neutral site works for us right now you know, we don't, I don't know that we're up to kind of travel and get enough people into the stands, you know, on a week's notice um, in that regard. And that's a real important part of it is making sure folks possible there uh, for the energy, for TV. So, you know, I don't be neutral site, you know, in our, in our future. I certainly think if all of a sudden it matures and we think that makes sense for the building, I certainly see why people think that would be a good, a good way to do it. But I think right now it makes the most sense for us relative with where we are in terms of our football. Do you, as a, the administrator of the Sun Belt, breathe a little bit of sigh of relief that the golden child, Grayson McCall, is coming back for a fifth year? <laughs> you know, I think it's cool. And, I, and I, I, mean, I think right, 13 other schools may not may disagree with me in that regard. But I think for the he's coming back, he's such a um, you know, great player, you know, and in many ways he's been the face of the Sun Belt for the last couple of years. I am, I'm excited to see him. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what Coach Beck's new offense is going to be and, um, and how they're going to utilize his skills and talents. And, um, and I, I suspect it'll be another exciting. Do you like where you are right now as far as bull alignments, um, the tie-ins, and just where the conference is going? You know, I really don't. Um, we, we, we've been working hard with the Football Oversight Committee to try to open up um, the cycle so that we can get some additional arrangements. You know, we only have five tie-ins right now, you know, and, um, and so we need at least seven, um, eight, I think would be ideal. Um, and, and so until we get to eight, um, you know, I don't know that I'll ever kind of be satisfied. So the short answer is no way. Five is not enough. Um, we definitely reason we're working on that. The first order of business is getting the football oversight committee to open up um, really the bowl cycle so we can start making some additional arrangements and figuring out, you know, what the best bowl matrix should be um, for the conference. The Sun Belt was, was there whenever they met with the uh, NCAA for the, uh, what do they call it, the trans, 
what was it called? Oh, Transformation Committee. What what really comes out of that, and how does that trickle down to the Sun Belt? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think some of the big things that I think are coming out there. So I'll talk about some of the things that kind of they talked about more clean involvement. So I think that makes a lot of sense in governance and those kind of things. So we'll have to take a look and, and see. And we, I think we do a pretty good job athletes and tour governance. But, you know, the transformation committee is looking for more of that from an on-campus conference standpoint. So we'll need to see that. There's also some health and safety things that are going to be really important in terms of covering student athletes, um, injuries, athletic-related injuries, uh, mental health, those things are going to be really important. I think our schools do a good job, but it'll be nice to kind of and uh, make sure we're doing, um, you know, kind of looking into those things. They're hanging out there to see kind of what what's going to happen. Membership requirements at FBS and Division One generally, um, you know, what are those going to are those going to be strengthened? Um, so I think that's something looking out there. Representation from a governance standpoint, to look differently. Should the council look differently? Um, there's there's going to be some more sport oversight committees. So the sport is going to be um, significantly, you know, different in that regard. So I think there's some things like that that are still, you know, left to be desired. And then the one that's probably been most reported on is this kind of championships bracket expansion. I have no idea where that's going. You know, it seems like the group recommended kind of looking at each sport and in sports where there's 200 plus um, participants, um, should there be 25% um, opportunity to go to postseason. And, um, and so I think all the sports will take a look at that. Again, I think there's some upside for the Sun Belt. Um, you know, I think in, you know, a lot of people think, hey, if those, if that expansion happens, it's going to go to A5 schools. You know, I'm going to think that certainly the A5 will get their share, but but so will we. And um, so I don't know that that's, that's the worst thing in the world. Last year we had Cliff from, from Coastal Carolina. He mentioned the, the NCAA tournament. Put them all in one through uh, 320, seed them, but the higher seed gets the the home game so that you could have the likes of a Duke, Grambling State. I love it. I thought he was a little off at the time, but it, it, if it's proposed, we might as well go all in. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'm, I would support everyone in the NCAA tournament. Um, so I, I think that I, I think one thing that's important about the men's basketball tournament is we that it works really well. And um, and so if we're going to start tinkering with it, we just got to be really careful and make sure we, we understand the outcomes and make sure there are no unintended. You know, um, you know I, I do think, you know, looking at expansion makes sense. Um, you know, 350 plus team tournament to me doesn't seem like that's the way to go in men's basketball, um, you know, because 68 works pretty well. Um, the question is, could... 78 work better? Could 90 work better? Um, you know, you start getting past 96, you know, I, I think you start creating some issues, but, but I, but I, I certainly think the conversation should be, it is certainly a good one to have. Were you at all surprised that the transformation committee didn't come with a recommendation at least that I saw some sort of COO or executive vice president, somebody at FBS football, similar to what Dan Gavitt does in basketball? No, I'm not surprised because one of that one, I'm, I'm totally against that. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that people don't like the Dan Gavin piece is Dan Gavin runs a basketball championship. I mean, that's really kind of his primary responsibilities. Now, through the football over or the basketball over, 
he works with basketball in some high level ways, but all that's through the governance structure. He's not really telling us what to do and, and, and managing it in, in that level. So kind of central control in that way is not really a good idea. I think the way it's managed right now makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and I think, you know, I just used COVID as an example, which is, you know, we wanted to play during COVID. If there was a, if there was a, probably wouldn't have gotten to play because the NCAA was trying to drive everyone towards not playing. So I prefer kind of controlling our own destiny. And I don't think a czar is a good idea. And I'm not surprised that the transformation didn't recommend that. Um, and I certainly, you know, continue to hear that, but don't feel like there's a lot of support for that. Moving on to basketball, I know one of the big things that you talked about in the offseason was we got to improve net, we got to improve net, we got to improve net. Four teams in the top 100. Is, is this just the, the fluke year, or do you think that teams within the league have and really started uh, stepping up their scheduling and winning those games? You know what, I think it's um, – I, I really think it's a couple things. I think one is alignment decisions really based on football and football fan bases and that kind of excitement. But the reality is we got better in a lot of sports, not just football. And um, I think basketball is one of those sports that we got better in. And, um, and so, so I think one thing is we added some really good basketball teams to the league. Um, I think we have some good basketball teams in the league. The great things is by having four teams, 100, it helps everyone get better. We have league games that are good net games. Whereas before, you know, last year, we didn't have any teams in the top 100. And so you weren't able to improve on your net when you got in the league play. Your net only pulled you back. So I think it's a combination of we really have been trying to focus on We have some good basketball additions with our four new schools. And, um, and it's allowed us to get um, across the board in the sport. Do you like the chaos where, where you have three teams tied atop the standings, three that are tied for second and it's – really Arkansas state, the only one that's the out of contention. Yeah, I think you do. You know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the worst thing, you know, you want is a bunch of 500 teams, you know, I mean, I always look at it as, you know, you want like three or four of your teams that have 80% of the wins and your teams that have 80% of the losses and then some teams in between. Um, so, so yeah, I think this, the, the parity, I think you've got, you know, obviously teams like Southern Miss and Marshall, that are, you know, in Louisiana, you know, Louisiana went four straight on the road. I mean, which is kind of unbelievable, you know, the hardest part of their schedule, you know, they go, um, you know, now they get to go back home, good team, number one, to kind of, you know, have some home cooking, which is great. Marshall been playing her up 10 yesterday. And then all of a sudden Arkansas State has this furious comeback, 11-0 run into overtime, you know, and, and Southern Miss has been really consistent as well. So I, I think, you know, you have some front runners. That is key. You don't want to have a bunch of 500 teams. So I really like the way the the, um, the season is folding out. And I think it's going to make, um, it's going to make for. When the, when the Mac challenge was announced, uh, the Sunbelt Mac basketball announced, coaches, fans, everybody said, this is great. Can we do it with some other leagues? So I guess I'll ask you, with other conferences in the near future? You know what? We, we would love to do it. I mean, the re been trying for four years to get this done, and the MAC is the first league. I don't know that there's a lot of leagues out there that want to do this um, because we certainly have been asking. Uh, that being said, you know, 
um, open to doing it with with other leagues and uh, having more you know opportunities like this to you know make sure we secure more home games for our teams, but also play really good competition that you know help us whether it's seeding or you know hopefully down the road when we start position ourselves on Selection Sunday. Is it something that ESPN likes to see? I mean, I know both those leagues have deals with ESPN was in the business with each other in that regard. I know they do at the high major level to some degree. Yeah, they really didn't for us. You know, it was just really me and John Steinbrecher talking. And um, and, and it, now one of the things that we do is because we're ESPN partners, it allows us to work together and be more collaborative across the board. But the, this was just, you know, myself and, and John Steinbrecher kind of, you know, getting together and kind of talking through that. And the, around trying to get other people to do it, you know, in the previous year. So, no, we just worked with the Mac and they were willing to reciprocate and, and it worked out great. I'm really excited about it. 19th sport, finally, beach volleyball with yeah. traditional Sunbelt schools, Southern Miss, Coastal, Georgia State, and ULM in the mix. And then also throwing in Stephen F. Austin, Mercer, and UNC Wilmington. How did those schools kind of come in with the Sunbelt? Yeah, you know, so we've been working on beach volleyball with uh, CCSA, the A-Sun, you know, trying to develop the sport, you know, and trying to make sure that our schools, our primary schools that had a place, um, had a place to, to grow the sport. So it made sense as we we're kind of, you know, spinning off. They were, you know, the A-Sun now have, have a league of just primary A-Sun schools. And we don't have enough where we could have schools. So since we've been collaborating the whole time, it was easy for us to take those four and form a league. It allows the A-Sun to kind of have their own kind of beach volleyball league and get an AQ. It allows us to have our four affiliate members, obviously. Um, and, and so it'll be great. So we'll have our first champ, um, you know, in April. And really excited about that. And I'm really excited about the opportunity to grow the sport. Should be a great sport, really fun region. You know, we've already got some schools, and I think we'll have some schools that end up adding it as well, um, just because it's, you know, it's not super expensive. And um, and certainly, you know, with our weather and um, with our population, it makes a lot of sense for us to have a sport like beach volleyball. God, it'd be so great in San Marcos to have beach volleyball. And, and you got to make sure the Don puts it right on the bank of, uh, of the, the river. Kind of squashing the rumors. Everyone's like, oh, well, this is a tryout for, you know, Stephen F. or Mercer to, to join the league. They're, they're not really even on the table, are they, for any kind of expansion of the Sun Belt? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll never speak publicly specifically about it. But what I will say is we are full, like we feel really good where we are. We are not really looking for additional members. 14 is a good number for us. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know that anything's ever a tryout or anything like that. We're not really, um, you know, operating in a way that we're, we're trying to add members. We, we feel good about 14 and uh, feel really comfortable with that. So, Kamish, before we let you go, you got to tell us what's next for the good old fun belt. I mean, we had a, a banner year for football. It's shaping up to be a banner year in basketball. Baseball is always going to be good in the sun belt. What's next? Yeah, you know, I mean, hopefully, you know, next year we go to our first New Year's Six and we're perennial in the playoff when that expands. That's really important. That's something we're going to want to do. 
Um, you know, we want to keep our momentum going in uh, baseball, which is why we're baseball and softball, which is why we're investing those sports. We'll have replay starting this year. We'll, we'll have minimum um, televised broadcast for softball, which is really important. Um, so that, that is something we're going to do. We're going to keep putting our foot on the gas in basketball. We had our first media day this year. Um, we'll keep investing in that sport because we, we feel like we can be good. We want to make sure we get better scenes beyond 16 and then actually be considered for at-large bids and also NIT uh, bids on the on the men's side and then at-large and um, um, and better seeds on the women's side. So really keep growing. You know, I feel like we're in a good spot, you know. And so um, if you're passing out grades, you know, we, we would certainly get a passing grade at this point. But we don't want to rest on our laurels. We want to keep growing and building on what we've done. And, um, and, I, and I think these obviously the new schools will help us do that so that we can be better in a lot of sports. You know, we should have, I mean, I would argue we should have had an at-large in volleyball this year. You know, I mean, Texas State certainly deserves, um, a, 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 yeah, they deserve an opportunity. And But it's growth for us to be in the conversation. We can't be, we can't say that's good enough, though. We got to get into the tournament. And, um, and so, but we're getting better across the board. So I think you're just going to keep seeing growth. Um, that's what we're going to keep push, pushing for. We don't want to be a good football conference. We want to be a good conference. And, um, and that's being good across the board. Um, you know, we want to have good good fan bases, folks coming out to our games. So I think that's what the future holds, you know, kind of uh, just kind of keep building and keep growing and keep getting better. Awesome. We thank you, as always, for joining us, our commission. Uh, look forward to catching up with you on campus uh, as the upcoming season for baseball comes and and we're, we're going to try to make it down to Pensacola for for some basketball. Okay, that'd be great. Yeah, that'll be awesome. So, well, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Always good to talk to the commish. He's happy. I mean, uh, and, and rightfully so. I mean, a great football season. Uh, four teams in the top 100 of net. We know that baseball is going to be good. Softball is always good for the Sun Belt. It's, uh, you know, the classic saying, the, the sun's always brighter for the Sun Belt, and, and it's definitely rising. Yeah, I mean, some things we didn't even really talk about much is, you know, success in soccer or other sports, volleyball, we talked a little bit about. But, yeah, the across the board, he's got to be pretty happy with where his conference is right now and should only continue to get better in, you know, the money sports like football and basketball, I would think. Yeah, I, I think that the – the fact, though, that we we shot out of the gates three and zero in bowl season, and then had four straight losses, it definitely soured. But I think that that's going to drive the hunger for twenty twenty three to be an even bigger year, huge upsets for the Fun Belt Conference, and I'm looking forward to football season already. Yeah, I mean, and frankly, if they manage to get into one or two bigger bowl games, then you start focusing less on, you know, how you do in your sixth or seventh bowl game of the year. And you start kind of focusing more on, you know, what your major, your top 25 teams, your teams that get into the new year six or whatever, that kind of becomes a story as opposed to, you know, what, you know, no offense to a coastal Carolina this year, but what they did in the midst of a coaching change and their quarterback kind of deciding to sit out, and all the things you don't worry about that as much in what is kind of a meaningless game. If you have something that you can look at as more meaningful. And I think they're getting to that point, but to some degree, 
the Sun Belt beat itself up this year to the point where they weren't in the mix. Although I think you can go back and look. It's hard to really justify. I'm not saying Tulane shouldn't have been in the Cotton Bowl. They proved that they were worthy. It's just hard to say that they were that much more worthy than Troy that never got any consideration at all for that when you go back and look at everything. Yeah, I, I think that that Southern Miss loss for Tulane to me was one that was tough to get over. I mean, I know a little bias and adding more weight to that game with it being a Sunbelt Conference team. But I, I, I really am just shocked still that Troy was not even in the others for consideration. It, it's like they just did not exist. They were they were over and not, you know, 12, 13 win team. Yeah, I mean, if you're Troy should have been in the conversation. And if you're then if you're having that conversation and you're saying, well, Tulane won at Kansas State and look what Kansas State did. And that's your difference maker. I can buy that. I can listen to that argument. What what doesn't sit right for me is that you're not even having that conversation about Troy and Tulane or Troy and whoever else from the American or Conference USA or anybody else you want to put in the mix. It just never seemed like Troy as the conference champion, as a team that beat a really good South Alabama team, as a team that beat, you know, what ended up being a struggling coastal team down the stretch, but a team that had been in the top 25, you know, they don't get credit for those wins when it comes to the national conversation. And that that's where, you know, it rubs me the wrong way is that they're just not even like being discussed at that time where they should have. Do you think it would have changed if James Madison would have been eligible and it would have been a James Madison Troy championship game? Does that conversation change? I don't think it changes that much because you're still not talking about, you know, a top 25 team at the time. You're still not talking about a power five win, which is what, you know, two lanes really hanging their hat on lately. You know, I think it might've changed if, you know, it had been a Marshall or somebody who had that win that everybody saw later on that you're talking about. But, you know, they go through the buzzsaw and they, you know, they get chewed up by their own conference, which we know how tough that is, but nobody else outside of the Sunbelt diehards maybe understand how tough it would be to get through the Sunbelt with one or two losses, you know, or a South Alabama, like, you know, like Commissioner Gill discussed, they were one play away from having a really, really good win. Against, I'm never getting past that game against the UCLA. Every time I think I am, somebody else brings it up. <laughs> but I mean, it's a it's a completely different conversation if South Alabama wins that game. Then that gives Troy's victory over South Alabama that much more validity, and it gives you know if South Alabama happens to ride that momentum to the conference championship, then you're talking about them having just as good of a win as Tulane had. And they didn't go lose on the road to or at home to an AAC or a Conference USA school in that case. So the Sunbelt's really close. It's just a matter of luck. They need Yeah, there's some luck involved. And it's just, you know, you got to be the team, the conference, the team, whatever that they're talking about when the season begins. Otherwise, it's really hard to kind of get over that hump and maybe maybe Troy will be the team that they 
you know, teams are talking about maybe James Madison, maybe coastal, maybe South Alabama, maybe those teams will be the ones they're talking about next year when it's a different look AAC. But every year it, it, you're always losing that part. That's, that's kind of your talking point for Troy to me, their loss of Carlton Marshall, the NCAA all-time leading tackler is gone. Todd Santeo from James Madison, who just set the world on fire is gone. And, and so with that question of are these mid-majors really going to be able to have the talent that replaces that caliber of player, I don't think until we can have that consistent turnover will we really have that beginning-of-the-year conversation. Yeah, I mean, I will say there are some teams that are showing up on those, you know, way too early, day after the season ends, top 25s. Jay Madison has been on one of them. You know, so maybe – Maybe depending on what happens between now and August, we'll see some preseason top 25 teams or teams getting votes in this conference. I mean, Sunbelt teams really had to start from scratch at the beginning of last season and work their way even into getting the votes and then eventually a few cracking the top 25. Maybe one of them starts in the top 25 this year or starts 27 and needing a couple more votes to get into the top 25 after week one or two. I don't know, but it does seem like they're getting a little bit more attention heading into already heading into, you know, spring ball. The other thing that commission really talked about was the expanding of NCAA tournament. I remember when it was a big deal that it was 64 hard set. There was no first four. There was 64. You're in, you're out. It, it seems like we we've grown because that is kind of the, the, the moneymaker is the NCAA tournament. So we went up to 68 teams. What is the right number, or, or is there a right number that we go to? Do we do the Cliff Ellis in, in one through, you know, 300, whatever? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm i one of those people who my initial reaction is, no, I've, I've loved this the way it is for my entire life. Why, why are you going to mess with me? I've already had to go through one spring where I didn't even have an NCAA tournament, and I thought I was going to die, not from COVID, but from not having the NCAA tournament to watch. Um so don't do, don't mess with it now, but at the same time, every change that's happened over the years, whether, like you said, whether it's getting to 64, the way it was for a long time, and then going from 64 to 68, every time it happens, people complain, people don't like it. And then they're used to it after a couple of years and it is what it is. And I don't know, I mean, 90 or whatever sounds like a drastic change, but I've also seen ideas tossed out where it's actually more like a pre-tournament. you got some teams playing to get into that 64 team field. And I maybe could possibly buy into that. You know, maybe it, it just makes you kind of roll through not just those conference tournaments that are a lot of fun. And then you roll into like another, another version of March madness. I think, you know, I think it might have been Loyola, California. Some somebody's AD kind of tossed out that idea as like what he's thinking expansion will be, and I might be able to get behind that. I might be able to get behind sort of like just expanded play-ins to get to the sixty-four team field we've always had and always loved. As long as, and this was a good big point in his thing, was as long as the automatic first the league champions are still automatically in the 64 team field i don't want the sunbelt team to have to win three games to get into the real tournament 
They, they just got to remember that the first 48 is probably trademarked and, and, and it has a completely different meaning for NCAA basketball. I, I think I would rather see, since the NCAA owns the NIT tournament, expand the NIT to the full 64 and, instead of messing with the true March Madness. Or yeah, I mean, just create an NCAA-sanctioned C tournament again. I mean, I think there are ways, yeah, that you could do that, but I think there are ways to expand it that can be – palatable i mean i think i don't want to see it turned into something that just screws over the mid-majors even more but if it's like i said if it's that you know you're the conference tournament in the ivy league and that still means that you're in the round of 64 but the eighth place team in the big 10 has to play their way to that point i can kind of get behind that and another way i can see doing it is give each league the possibility of two automatic bursts. So if we're talking about the Sun Belt this year, let's say Marshall wins the regular season tournament, but Louisiana wins the conference tournament, give them both an automatic berth. And if you're going to expand it that way and see more teams do that, make the regular season even more meaningful, I, I could kind of get behind that too, because I'm one of these people who's, excited when November rolls around and there's regular season basketball. And I know there's a lot of people who don't pay attention until maybe this week or maybe not until the Super Bowl's over and, you know, make the regular season more exciting, make those games in November, December matter a little bit more. If that's the end result of it, I can maybe get behind that too. So with no Jeremy here for story time, Shane, the, the pressure's all up to you for plugs, promos and parting shots. Oh, boy. <laughs> I didn't even think this through. The, you know, plug and promo, check out dnronline.com slash sports or slash Sunbelt Extra if you want to read everything going on across the Sunbelt Conference. I'll probably do from this episode with uh, Keith Gill into a story or two as well. So, yeah, that's my, that's my promo for this time. I'll plug Warhawk Report as always, part of the Rivals Network covering ULM recruiting and team sports with good message board where there's been a lot of discussion about the athletic director coming to an end sometime soon. I'm ready. I'm the new person come in, start building the, the athletic program from the ground up so that we can have these conversations of it not being Marshall and the Cajuns, but Shane, your ULM Warhawks. I'm excited to have you all in. Let's get everybody winning big in this conference and uh, give us all plenty to talk about. Except for Arkansas State, because we can't deal with Jeremy anymore. (laughs) You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.